0: Hello everyone, how are you this beautiful day that the Lord has made? I'm Kara Jane Casey on the podcast Turn to God with Karen. And every Wednesday morning we have Sword of the Spirit. It's a subtopic of Turn to God with Karen. As we go out each day into the world, we need to be equipped with a full armor of God. And that is described for us in Ephesians chapter 6. So, there we find that the sword of the Spirit is a defensive weapon against the attacks of the enemy, our adversaries. What is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God. So, in our Wednesday episodes, we cover passages from the Word of God. And for August through December, on Wednesdays, we look at parables from the New Testament. And if you haven't watched or listened to the previous episodes, I hope that you will go back to them. So today's episode is Wedding Feast, and Wedding Feast is based upon the parable, also called Marriage Feast or Great Banquet, found in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. This was Jesus talking to the religious leaders and priests who had refused to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and had just finished questioning His authority. Then He shared three parables in a row, and we've already covered the other two in the past two weeks, and with each relating to the Kingdom of God. So let's begin by reading the passage, Matthew 22, verses 1-14 through 14, in the Amplified Bible. Parable of the Marriage Feast Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who had previously been invited to the wedding feast, but they refused to come. Then he sent out some other servants, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calves are butchered, and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, they disregarded the invitation, treating it with contempt, and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest of the invited guests seized his servants and mistreated them, insulting and humiliating them, and killed them. The king was enraged when he heard this and sent his soldiers and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main highways then lead, that lead out of the city and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. Those servants went out into the streets and gathered together all the people they could find, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests sitting at the banquet table. But when the king came to see the dinner guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed appropriately in wedding clothes. And he said, Friend, how did you come in here without wearing the wedding clothes that were provided for you? And the man was speechless and without an excuse. Then the king said to the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him into the darkness outside, in that place where there will be weeping over sorrow and pain and grinding of teeth, over distress and anger. For many are called, invited, summons, but few are chosen. Well, that was disturbing in a lot of places, wasn't it? So I found a commentary by sermon writer that I liked, and maybe it will help us to understand a little better. These parables were more allegorical than most. The code of understanding them is as follows, and this helped, was helpful for me, maybe for you. The king in the parable is God. The son is Jesus. The invited guests are the people of Israel. The first slaves are the Hebrew prophets. The second and third sets of slaves are Christian missionaries, and the burned city is Jerusalem. The good and the bad are the members of the church, which includes both righteous and unrighteous. The wedding robe equates to righteousness. Hmm. Well, here's a brief portion of sermon writers' comments. I, I couldn't include it all, but I hope you'll look it up, as well as reread the parable for yourself. This is obviously more than a story about a king and a banquet. It is the story of salvation history in which God sent prophets and Christian evangelists with good news, which some rejected and others accepted. The invited guests offer no excuses but simply refuse to honor the invitation. With that invitation's call for action, they see it as inconvenient. Likewise, the call of Christ in its specifics can be inconvenient. Like the invitees, we find it easy to accept Christ in principle, and like them, we find it less easy to accept the particulars of it. Christ's call to serve on the church board, or to teach Sunday school, or to be sexually abstinent until marriage, or to invite a co-worker to church, or to tithe, the place where the rubber hits the road can be pretty gritty. We are sorely tempted to reserve our discipleship for the parts of life that don't require us to change, that don't force us out of our comfort zone. This parable explains why the church includes Gentiles and sinners. Sinners and irreligious people were not welcome in the synagogues back in those days. The church found an eager audience among those not welcome elsewhere. The result was that many church members were those considered undesirable in polite company. In many cases, they were crude and undefined. This parable summarizes in story form the relationship of God with the Jewish people and the church. It reminds us that God invites us to a joyful feast, and we miss the joy if we refuse the invitation. It acknowledges that both good and bad people Fill the church roles. It also implies a warning. What is the meaning of the wedding robe in a Christian context? Jesus doesn't tell us, but given to the reference of good and bad in verse 10, and Matthew's concern for righteousness, it stands to reason that the wedding robe equates to righteousness. The issue would appear then to be our sanctification, growth in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, discipled lives. The errant guest who declined to put on Christ has not valued holiness. Has not clo- chosen to live as a saint instead of a sinner. This parable warns that God will be will no more accept the rebellion of the unrighteous than he will accept the rebellion of those who refuse the invitation. Whew, that's a lot to take in, isn't it? We're to put on righteousness. Well, let's remember the priests and religious leaders likely did many good works. But we know that salvation is not by works that have been done, only through Jesus. They openly rejected Jesus. They refused to accept Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. At any point, those religious religious leaders had heard enough to have a change of heart and mind. After all, they had studied the Old Testament extensively, but still they did not come to Jesus. They refused to believe that He was indeed the Messiah, which was prophesied about throughout the Old Testament. They overlooked all of that and denied Jesus as Lord. Scriptures tell us that we cannot earn our way to heaven, not by good things we do, but by faith, through His mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. But we are to choose to live rightly. A believer, also known as a Jesus follower, is not saved by their good works, but once they are saved, by God's mercy and grace, through Jesus Then a believer is filled with gratitude and therefore is motivated to do good works, to walk rightly, or conduct themselves in right living. They have walked away from their sinful lives. So other people will see their fruit and glorify God. Well, I love to share the good news of Jesus. John 3.16 explains it, summarizes the whole thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In today's world, we may hear that there are many ways, many many pathways to get to heaven. But that's not true because Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to Jesus. No man receives God, but by Jesus, through Jesus. Are you a believer? Do you believe that Jesus is the only Son of God? Do you know that Jesus came to suffer and die for you, that He paid for your sins on the cross and He defeated death? Do you know that Jesus is the only way to eternity in heaven? No one comes to the Father but by Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, His birth, His life, death, and resurrection, and ascension are fulfilled, are fulfilling over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament? That's astounding. And it's historical, too, that there were many witnesses that Jesus was raised from the dead because He walked among the people for 40 days before He ascended into heaven. So we each have free will to decide whether to become believers in Jesus. God didn't want us to be robots. He gave us choice. I urge you to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Speak your confession out loud as instructed in Romans 10 verses 8 through 10. Your your prayer could be something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I repent right now and I walk away for my sinful life. Help me in that, because I'll be tempted. I believe that Jesus is the only Son of God. He suffered and died on the cross, even for me, for my sins. And Jesus defeated death. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart now. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. I receive you. I, I will serve you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. When you believe and confess Jesus, you become His, born again, saved, a believer, a follower of Jesus. You consider what would Jesus do in every decision you make from then on. It doesn't matter whether a person who comes to Jesus used to be a really bad person. Once they're saved, their past sins are gone and they have opportunity to walk in righteousness they become part of his kingdom once we belong to the lord out of gratitude for his mercy and grace through jesus christ we are motivated to do good works to walk in right living to shun sinful living to serve him by serving others and we have that ability to do it because the holy spirit is working with us in that we he gives each of us a specific calling a purpose We share the good news of Jesus, and we have a desire for all to come to His kingdom. And in that, we fall into agreement with God's desire that all should come to Jesus. Well, here's something I wrote in my recently published book, uh, uh, non-fiction, Joy in the Valley. And this is called the seven Ps. Do not allow yourself to be pitiful. Because power exists when you peacefully and patiently pray to God, your provider and protector. God is our refuge in all kinds of troubles. Well, thank you for joining me today. I hope you will join me every Wednesday morning for Sword of the Spirit, which with the podcast, Turn to God with Karen. And also every Monday we have episodes of Hope and Faith Journey, where we tackle sufferings and challenges and hardships and we have we have hope for healing we have encouragement always knowing we can turn to God well this is Karen Jane Casey author speaker podcaster domestic violence victim advocate and ambassador for Christ and I hope that you'll go to my website's contact page and send me your con- comments, your suggestions, any feedback is always welcome. And my website is KarenJaneCasey.com. There you'll find pertinent information regarding domestic violence, but also you'll find out all about my books, my blogs, and podcasts. And if you've read any of my books, if you've watched any of my podcasts, and They have brought about positive change in you. They have brought you encouragement, hope for healing. I would love to know about that. And thank you and God bless.